You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Good morning. Okay. If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be in Matthew 6.10 that uh, Miss Lisa just read for us. If you're new here, uh, my name is Jamin. Welcome. Uh, Thrilled that you... Uh, are visiting us at Citizens. I hope that we have already hosted you well and made you feel welcome. If you're watching online, maybe it's your first time to do that, or maybe you've been doing that for a long time, welcome. Uh, We are honored that you chose to participate wherever you are. Uh, Last week, uh, our church turned two years old. We celebrated two years of being Citizens Church, and we started a five-week series called Belonging. And that series is about our church. It's about the church in general, but also it's about specifically Citizens Church. So um, I say this often. Uh, I mean it more now uh, than than usual. If you missed last week, uh, especially if you're a member, especially if you've been here for some time and you missed last week, please go back and and listen. We offered, uh, we created a lot of space to kind of walk through our story, talk about highs and lows and uh, what God's done, God's faithfulness to us, and really offered that as the why behind this series and maybe some of the hopes of what's gonna happen in these five weeks. And and I'm not gonna give the same space to that this Sunday, so if you missed, please go uh, and listen. But I do wanna start by returning to just two big ideas about why we're doing the Belonging series. Uh, This will feel a little different than most sermons do because it's somewhat of a family conversation, but there's two things that will mark this series for us. First, we are in these five weeks doing a member renewal. We're asking all of our members to renew their membership. Many of you already have. Thank you for doing that. The way to do that is there is a five-question renewal on our website at citizenschurch.com. If you go to citizenschurch.com, go to the belonging page. In the middle of that page, you'll find the renewal, and it's five questions about our values and affirming our mission and affirming our statement of faith and and all those kinds of things. Um, Here's why we're doing that. I mentioned last week the statistic floating around at least the church world right now that since March of 2020, so in these 18 months or whatever it is, what's happened in the church has been a bit of a sifting, a purging, uh, a scattering, if you will. And the statistic floating around is that you can take the average church and you can break that church up into thirds since March of 2020. Here's what's happened. A third of the average church, the people have left for one reason or another. A third are more committed than they've ever been, and a third are trying to decide what to do about church. Maybe that means making a church change. Maybe that means church is going to fall out of their life altogether and they'll move away from, from church being a part of their life, whereas before the pandemic, maybe it was a meaningful part of their life. Now, a lot has contributed to that. that tied up in that is all the division of the last 18 months and all of the chaos of the last 18 months, and really a lot of what Maybe how what we've felt is just kind of trying to do the best we can with where we're at in, in chaotic circumstances, right? Um, and I don't know if here at Citizens, I don't know if those are our percentages, but I know that those categories definitely bear out here. A third, or some have left, some more committed, some they're trying to make up their mind, maybe feel a little bit more scattered. And I think those categories have been true here since before 2020. I think that started for us really back in 2018 when there was a lot of change and a lot of transition and so much kind of shifting and crisis that we've walked through together, which we talked more about uh, last week. God has been good. 
God has been faithful. Hear me. The headline over our church is not people in crisis. The headline over our church is people sustained by a constant God who loves us. And yet, we feel, because of that, because of those categories and all that's happened, we feel our leadership here feels a responsibility to invite commitment. Take a season, invite commitment, invite recommitment to, in some ways, to, to state it candidly, to some ways force a good conversation for our members, to, to force that good conversation of evaluating your relationship to this local church. And that might mean you have questions that you need answers answered before you can renew praise God for that. We're here to have those conversations, especially the difficult ones. That might mean you're in a busy season doing the best you can, and the renewal gives you a chance to just kind of raise your hand and say, hey, we're, we're still here, just trying to figure it out, right? I want to say this very clearly. I'll probably say this every week that we talk about the renewal. What the member renewal is not is it's not a passive-aggressive way to make someone feel bad about their church participation. Have no interest in, in pressuring people with guilt. The way of Jesus is to win with grace and truth. It's been a crazy season. Many of us have just done our best, like we said. Um, and, and then this is true too. Capacity for commitment is different for everybody. Capacity to commitment looks different depending on the season of life that you're in and the unique details of your life. There's so much grace and patience for that. But at the same time, I know this is naive. I, I know this is... Uh, idealistic. But I would love for all of our people to fall in the category of more committed than you've ever been. I would love for that to be true. Not because we need that necessarily, but because we believe what we're doing here matters. We believe in the mission of the church. We believe that what God is doing here is He is present and working in this church. The Savior of the world is sustaining and leading this church. And, 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 and we believe that the primary context for becoming like Jesus is the local church. And we want everyone who calls this place their church to be involved in that in as meaningful a way as possible. Hear me. We are not hurting for people, and the renewal is a way to try to boost attendance. In fact, if everyone who, who considered citizens their church, if everyone started coming more regularly, we would have to add a third service, which means I would miss even more Cowboys games, and I already do. And I don't want that, and I don't think God wants that, right? It's, it's his team. So to say it again from last week, um, be, be, just because things have been a bit scattered, people fall in all different places, our heart in the renewal is to get a clear picture of who calls this place home so that we can be faithful to our family, so we can be faithful to our family. So members, you can renew right now on our site. Uh, wait till after the service just because that would distract me. Um, we'll give more instruction. If you're not a member, our next membership class is on October 10th, and you can register for that online as well. The second thing that marks this series is we're walking through our five values. The icons of those values are behind me, and then the words are on the screen behind me. Uh, it is life in Christ, word of God, people of presence, whole person discipleship, and living on mission. We are a seven-year-old congregation. We are a two-year-old church, so these values are not new realities for us. This has been true about the, the, the group of people that planted a campus of the Village Church seven years ago, this was true about you. It's been true about us for the two years that we've been a church. But this is new language, and it's important for us to have our own language for these realities. And here's one of my hopes, and these will last hopefully for a long time, but at least right now in this moment, what I hope these values do for Citizens Church is I hope that they kind of play offense and defense for us, meaning uh, I, I hope that they not only kind of offer a picture of who we are and who we want to become, but they also protect us 
from becoming what we don't want to be. If you remember last week, we, we named these distorted views of church that are really prevalent among us that I think have been exposed as being even more present in the past 18 months. Maybe a more crass way to say it would be what we've seen in the last 18 months are a lot of pictures of a kind of church that we don't want to become. There's a kind of church we don't want to be. There's a kind of church I don't want to pastor. And, and one of the hopes for the values is that they will root us and ground us in a faithful ecclesiological vision and commitment to what God wants us to be. So just to name some of those again, we don't want to become a church that is defined by our politics. We want to be a church that's defined by our theology. Uh, we talked last week about the danger. Yes, theology informs politics, but it's a complicated political moment right now, and there's a lot of people that are trying to oversimplify what's complicated. Theology does not fit neatly into any of that. More than that, there is no one political party that gets to claim territory on kingdom values. They belong to God. We are on God's side. We are God's people. We also don't want to become a church of people who believe church is supplemental instead of it being essential. It's not, church is not an optional add-on to our Christianity. We are saved both to God and into His people so that we could belong to Him and to His people in a meaningful way. And, and, and we don't want to become a church that treats as optional what God said is essential. The one that I think I'm most scared of is, is the last one. We don't want to become a church that's transactional. I think that's the greatest threat to us in this moment, living in Plano among all the affluence and consumerism that marks us, right? It'd be really easy to treat this like a business where you're a religious consumer and I'm the kind of guy that offers religious goods and services to religious consumers. And so we treat this like a spiritual business where we become some sort of religious version of corporate America, no dependence on God, no call for sacrifice and self-denial, no conviction that leans into what we don't want, even if it's what we need, no desperation for God to do what only he can do. No, thank you. No, thank you. Don't want to be a part of that. We will not become like that. Church is formational, not transactional. I'm not a CEO. You're not a consumer. We are here to collectively become like Jesus together, and God has determined that we need one another in order to do that, right? How do we hope to become and stay that kind of church that's faithful? One of the ways is through our values, through committing to our shared values and our shared love. So last week, it was life in Christ. And we remembered that this is all about Jesus. The greatest thing we have going on at Citizens Church is not a program. It's not an event. The greatest thing going on here is the presence of the resurrected, vindicated, exalted King Jesus. The greatest day in Citizens Church history is a day in the future when we stand before Jesus with all the saints. He says, well done. We say back to him, you're worth it all. Every act of obedience, every act of service, all of my resources that I offered to you, life in Christ means this is from and for and all about Jesus. Our next value that we'll spend the rest of our time considering is the Word of God. Here's how we define it as a value. It's knowing the true story of who God is and who we are. At Citizens Church, we love the Bible. We love the Bible. We love the Word of God. Like the story Jesus tells at the end of his sermon where he says there's a family that builds their house on the rock and when the storm comes, it withstands the storm. That's God's word for us. It's the very ground upon which everything rests. We are Bible people. It doesn't mean we understand everything in the Bible. 
It doesn't mean that, that, that when I read my Bible, there aren't things that I find confusing or even sometimes things that I find alarming, right? It doesn't mean that we have it all figured out. But what it does mean is that in what is true for me is that I will take the unanswered questions that come with the Bible over the unanswered questions that come without it. We're Bible people trusting God. And how that fleshes out at Citizens Church is the, the Bible drives every room that you walk in every room that you walk in. This week, our, our men and women's Bible classes under the leadership of Taryn Mays, they launched. They're studying the book of Romans. The teachers are pouring over the book of Romans. The people who are in those classes, the men and women are in those classes. They're invited every day to sit in the book of Romans, to consider it, to write about it, to memorize it, to learn about it, because we're Bible people. Uh, our home groups under Dre and Jill's leadership are invited every week to gather around and consider part of God's Word. Our students under Corey's leadership learn the Bible. Our young adults under Ty's leadership learn the Bible. Every week, our recovery ministry teaches the Bible under Michael Snetzer's leadership. Our preschool and elementary ministry, almost every Sunday, there are over 300 children under Melissa's leadership. They learn the Bible. And then you, if you're a parent, you're given a take-home sheet so you can continue the conversation about the Word of God with your kids on the way home or that night before bed, right? We are Bible people. Every Sunday we preach from the Bible. Sometimes people will ask me what the next sermon series is going to be. And my first thought is, are you tired of the one we're in? But the, my next thought is this, I don't know. I don't know. But it will be a book of the Bible. It will be from the Bible. It will start with turn in your Bible. I don't preach my opinions. My opinions are not that interesting or well thought out, and it's not what our church needs. We need to hear from God every week. We need to hear from Him what He says, and the clearest way that we hear from Him is in His Word, His written revelation. This isn't the point, but it's a good time to point out, if God ever tells you something that contradicts something He says in His Word, someone might be talking to you, but it's not God. The clearest way we hear through him is through his word, and he will never contradict himself. So at Citizens Church, we love the word of God. We are Bible people. It's becoming increasingly more popular to move away from the Bible, even in churches. But if we have to choose between being an outcast with God or being popular without him, give me God. Give me him. Let every man be a liar and God be true. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the house of the wicked. The scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for rebuke and for teaching that the people of God might be complete, equipped for every good work. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of God endures forever. We are Bible people. What is it that makes the Bible so special to us? It is the true story of who God is and who we are. There are ways to approach the Bible that are not necessarily wrong. They're just incomplete. Uh, maybe one of those ways would be like uh, thinking the Bible is this collection of moral examples of how to live, and uh, kind of. Most of the Bible I read are moral examples of how not to live, right, because a lot of people are dysfunctional. Um, maybe some people approach the Bible as this kind of systematized collection of um, topics, right? Like you can go to the Bible to learn about finances or go to the Bible to learn about marriage or relationships or something like that. And yes, you can do that, but that, that's a bit incomplete. The most faithful way to approach the Bible is seeing it as the authoritative, revealed, true story of who God is and who we are. The Bible is 66 books that tells one story. It tells one grand narrative. That story, put plainly, is creation, fall, redemption, new creation. The 
problem, the beginning of the story is God, and he creates a world with purpose and, and beauty and, and sacredness and holiness. The problem of the story is sin. The hero of the story is Jesus. The end of the story is no more tears and no more pain and everything sad, untrue, because Jesus returns and he makes all things new. Your role in that story is determined by how you respond to the story's hero, Jesus. And the most important thing about the story that the Bible tells is that it's true. It's true. We will come back to that. I want to try, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it, but I want to try to fight for us to see something that I think is really important, that may be a foreign concept for us. Everyone, me, you, everyone, we may not put it in these words, but we have all decided what story we believe we're living in. We have all decided what we believe is true about the world. We have all decided where we believe this came from, where we believe it's going. And maybe the most pertinent thing that we've decided, at least for our, our time this morning, is we have decided what we believe makes life matter, what gives us purpose. In the fall of 2008, Matthew McConaughey decided to stop doing romantic comedies. That's a really hard turn. I understand that. Um, stay with me. It'll be all right. All right, all right. Um, <laughs> He got famous from his role in A Time to Kill, but he stayed famous because for over a decade, he basically played the exact same character in like 20 different movies. So you might remember some of the cinematic masterpieces like How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days or Failure to Launch, right? It's the same role. And he got to a point where he said, uh, that was his career up to that point. He got to a point where he just said, I'm done. I don't want to do that anymore. He called his agent, no more romantic comedies. And uh, here is the reason he gives in his biography. He says, I wanted to be in stories that challenged the vibrancy of the life I was living. I wanted to play characters that challenged the liveliness of the man that I was. He wanted to be a part of a story that mattered. He wanted to play a character of meaning and significance. And so for two years, he was out of work. For two years, he would uh, read these scripts that were offered to him, and he'd say no to them. He turned down millions of dollars because he was waiting for the right script to come that told the story that he wanted to be a part of and, and allowed him to play a character that he thought would actually matter. And we are, we are all like him in that, and probably only like him in that very narrow sense, unless you drive a Lincoln or something. We want to be part of stories that challenge the vibrancy of life. We want to play a role that has meaning and significance. We want a script for life that has the most life in it. So much angst in life, so much of maybe even the, 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 the mental health crisis that surrounds us in life is wanting to know and believe that what I'm doing matters. And underneath that, who I am matters. matters. The character I'm playing, the role I'm playing in life, that it matters. Okay, here's what... Here's what we need to know. I need to know this. You need to know this. We have all said yes to a script already. Every single one of us is already living out of one, pursuing one. We have all decided 
what story we believe we belong to. And you can look at our actions, maybe not what we say, but you can look at how we spend our time, you can look at our thoughts, you can look at how we, uh, how we use the resources that God has given us, and you can follow those to some sort of script that we've said yes to, some sort of story that we believe we're living out of. And in our part of the world, we can be living in and influenced by stories that are not the Christian story, and yet they're so ingrained in us, they're so part of the air that we breathe that we don't even know it. We don't even know it. The overarching story of our day is the secular story. We've talked about this before, committed to continuing to talk about it. I think it's important for our discipleship to understand how we're being discipled by false stories that are around us. We're influenced by it. It's the dominant cultural story. Okay, growing up in church, my understanding of the word secular was limited to things that were non-Christian. That's how it was used, right? So like music was secular. So like don't listen to Blink-182, listen to DC Talk, right? Which was fine advice, right? And they're like, okay, what about Creed? I think they might be or might not be. It's like, okay, a few, but not, don't go crazy with Creed songs, right? Um, the way I mean it is secular is not an adjective. It's more of a noun, right? We live, you and I, we're born on the other side of major ideological societal shifts. And while I'm not smart enough to understand all of it, I know that what, what the result is is that for us, even for us as religious people who believe in the existence of God, believe God is real, the pull around us, the story around us, the influence on us is to live entire days, entire weeks, entire months, entire lives like we can do life without God, like He's not actually there. Because the secular story that influences us, it says that God either is not there at all or He's not involved at all if He is there. So where society used to find meaning in the transcendent, you know, if it was a Judeo-Christian religion, they found meaning in belief in the one true God. If it was maybe uh, the multiple God religions, they found meaning in multiple gods, right? But at least there was this understanding that meaning in life comes from some sort of transcendent faith statement. Now, in the secular story, that belief falls out or it's redefined, and you and I, the, the most visible, influential consequence of the secular story on us right now is that you determine your own meaning. You construct a life that determines your own value. You are the, you know, the, the captain of your own life, the ruler of your own life. You're responsible for making your own meaning. To, to put it in our illustration, right, it's like you write your own script. That's the narrative of the day. You write your own script. And, and, and that sounds like this huge win for the autonomous self. That sounds like this huge win for individualism. It sounds like that's an invitation to go and kind of be original until you realize that writing your own script comes from the story that says write your own script. It, it still makes us followers. It still means we're being discipled by something that's not us, right? An example of this is, is the cultural creed, be true to yourself, right? Maybe there's a way to explain that that makes it true or Christian or something like that, but I feel like that's trying to baptize it in a way that it wasn't intended. What we mean by that when we hear that in culture, be true to yourself is there is only, there's a you that only you know. There's a you that only you can set free. There's a you that only you has access to. And, and you're going to find salvation in life by breaking free of all these constraints, actualizing your true self according to whatever you feel and whatever your emotions say, right? Be true to yourself. That's not the Christian story. That's a different script. That comes from a different story. You are the determiner of your own person, the definer of your own meaning. That's not the Christian story. And, and I think what's happening for so many of us is that many of us live out of these scripts and we don't even know it. Like a few weeks ago when we talked about, we walked through the Psalms, and, and I told you that kind of in my own journey, I feel behind in prayer. I just feel behind in it. 
I'm, I'm, I'm better at talking about God than I am talking to God. And, and, I'm, and I, I want to grow in my ability to pray and be honest with God and have regular sacred conversations with God. And so many of you during that time raised your hand and said, you know, me too. I, I resonate with that. I, I feel that as well. I struggle in that. Here's what's happened. Prayer is an act of dependence. It's a practice of dependence. Prayer by its very nature is I'm not the point. I'm not all there is. There's something greater than me that my life was meant to depend on. And even though I grew up in church hearing that, depend on God, I also, I also grew up in a Western individualized society that shouts something different. It shouts, depend on you. Depend on yourself. You're self-sufficient. You are all you need. And the reality is, the honest truth is that that gripped more of my life than the Christian story did. That's an example of my life being shaped by stories that are not the Christian story, an example of my life being discipled by different scripts. And what I'm trying to do now in learning to pray and making space to pray and fighting for the faith to believe that it's meaningful and it matters, I'm trying to live in that story that I say is the true one. Do you see how subversive it can be, how subtle it can be in our lives, right? Like, think about this idea, friends. Think about the idea that we have to make something of ourselves. That is deeply embedded in the American psyche. Prove yourself. Pull yourself up. Make something out of yourself, right? And how do I do that? By accomplishing things. It's the insecure overachiever that we've talked about before. I can perform in a way that validates my own existence. I can uh, accumulate in a way that, that it overcomes my insecurities. That's not the Christian story. Hard work, uh, being a good steward, that, that's biblical. But believing I am the sum total of what I do, it's not. That's not the Christian story. You're not your work. You're not your work. You know that. If you've been here for any length of time, you've heard that. Your value is not the sum total of what you produce or what you achieve or what you accomplish. Have you had a bad week at work? Did you miss deadlines? Are you underperforming? Are you in a job that isn't very rewarding? At home, maybe in your role as mom or dad, do you feel like you failed to be the mom or dad you want to be? In this season of life, do you feel like you're not where you want to be with relationships? You're not where you want to be with your education? You're not where you want to be in your vocation? Okay, all of that can be very disappointing. None of those things determine who you are. None of those things determine your value or your purpose. You have heard that before. Here's what one of my... One of our roles together is, is to remind each other of that over and over and over again. Like every Sunday, every Sunday I could say, you are who Jesus says you are. Spoiler alert... I say that every Sunday. I got one sermon. That's pretty much all that happens here. You are who Jesus says you are. And yet even saying it every Sunday, it's not enough for us because so much of life, so much of everything else that influences us says, I am my work. I am my money. I am my stuff. I am the approval I get. I am the rejection I experience. I am what I don't have. I am the things that I haven't done. I am the things that I have done. That, that's a different script altogether. That's not the Christian story. And to believe and behave like it is to wake up every day thinking, I've got something to prove. I've got some sort of meaning to chase. I've got some sort of value that I'm trying to hold on to. Or I'm worth nothing. I matter nothing, right? That's not the Christian story. Or even, maybe this is uniquely true to us in the part of the world that we live in. We try and blend things we hear from other stories into our Christianity. 
And any time you blend Christianity with a false story, you no longer have Christianity. Too many times, too many times I've sat with men and women who are choosing their sin, choosing a life of sin, and we talk about what God says in His Word, and they say, God wants me to follow my heart, or some version of that. That's not the Christian story. That is some sort of evil, syncretistic Western individualism that tries to slap God's name on my sin so that I can do what I want and pretend to be a Christian at the same time. And the tragedy is that these scripts and these stories that are all around us, that are sold to us, they never deliver on the meaning they promise. Never. They never deliver on what they promise. Last Saturday in New York, um, the Yankees and the Mets played. I think the game mattered for, for their playoff hopes. I don't really follow baseball. I haven't recovered since the Rangers in 2011. But what made that game special uh, is not just that it, it mattered for playoffs. What made it, made it special is that it was Mets and Yankees in New York on September 11th, 20 years after the World Trade Center attacks. It was bigger than baseball. The game was just bigger than baseball. It had all of this sacred pageantry just woven throughout the whole night. Like all of the songs that you would expect to be sung were sung. The teams came together before the first pitch to honor the heroes of that day and the lives lost on that day. One team wore tributes to the New York Police Department. One team wore tributes to the New York Fire Department. There were family members who lost loved ones that were invited to come. And the whole game, as a result, the whole game just had a sense of weight to it. There was a, a sacredness to it. There was a reverence about it. Even as the game went on, that just kind of lingered throughout the game. They would scan the crowd, and, you know, you'd, you'd see people with signs and all kinds of things. It was bigger than baseball. It was just bigger than baseball. In the eighth inning, the Mets were at bat, two men on, two outs, down by a run, two strikes. It's a big moment in the game. The next pitch is a big moment in the game. And the camera scans the crowd again, and you see men and women in uniform, and you see people with flags and all that. And then right before this pitch, the game stops. And the cameras focus on the players, but the players are looking into the outfield. And what happened was a fan had run out onto the field. He had jumped the wall, and he had run out onto the field and was running around in the outfield for no other reason than to get attention. Joe Buck, he's a sportscaster. He was announcing the game, and he said this. You could hear the disdain in his voice. He said, can you believe someone would think this is the time to have a look at me moment? With all the remembrance, all the symbol, all the reverence, all of the sacred narrative tied into that game that someone would think, now's the time to try to get all eyes on me. Someone there not content to be part of something special had to try to be the center of something special and then disrupted the beauty and the gravity and the honor of the moment for 30 seconds of meaning that the cameras wouldn't even show and ultimately no one will remember. It's like if you could have sat down with the fan before that happened and said anything, it's, it's, it's you look at him and you say, you are not the point right now, right? And as absurd as that is, as much as you and I have a sense of the foolishness of that and the emptiness of that and the selfishness of that, that is a picture of all that the false story can offer you and can offer me. In the span of eternity, your life is a vapor. 
It's a moment. In the span of eternity, my life is just a vapor. In living out of the script that says create your own meaning, living out of the script that says chase your own value, define yourself, substantiate your existence, follow your feelings, you are what you have, the most that will ever amount to in your life, the most that will ever amount to is 30 seconds of meaning that the cameras don't catch and no one remembers because it's not true. It's not true. It's false. That's not what the world is about. It's not what the world was made for. This is God's world. It's like God's stadium that is filled with sacred meaning and plot and narrative and creation oriented around him. And the life that ignores that is at best a selfish disruption to what's actually going on. This life is not about working hard to create some sort of look at me meaningful moment. And maybe what most people don't want, most people don't want to be the center of the world, but all of us have this thing in us that wants to be the center of our world, and we're not the point. There is a better script for you than the one sold to you. There's a better script for me. We find it in the true story that we find in God's Word about who God is and who we are. That story is creation, fall, redemption, new creation. That story starts with God. He exists. He's creator. He is good. He is the point. He makes a world of peace and beauty and purpose and out of his love that his world and his creation might know him. The reason we crave the meaning we crave. The reason you crave the significance that you crave. The reason we long to be a part of something of substance is because God has placed eternity in our hearts. He's placed eternity in our hearts. We were made to be in awe. We were made with a desire for worship so great that only God who is worthy of worship can satisfy that desire. The problem of the story is sin. While we were all born with intrinsic God-given dignity, made for glory and honor as God's image bearers, we are also born with depravity handed down to us from Adam and Eve, who were the very first to try and find meaning in life outside of God, who brought sin into the world by listening to the first false story ever told by Satan. The hero of the story is Jesus, who lives the life we should have lived, lives the life that Israel was meant to live, lived the life we were meant to live, dies on a cross, comes back to life, invites us to be restored and reconciled and find true meaning in him. And the end of that story is no more tears and no no more pain and everything sad untrue when Jesus returns heaven and earth reunited and Jesus makes all things new and the glory of God fills heaven and earth that's the true story you find your script within that story and we're at a unique place in that story right now you find a condensed version of it in the prayer Jesus teaches us to pray in Matthew 6:10 he says your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven you and i right now live in between the resurrection of Jesus and the return of Jesus that's the portion of the story that we exist in, that you were born into. You look back at an empty tomb. You look forward at a day when Jesus will part the clouds. He will return. He will make everything right again. He will make everything beautiful again. He will bring healing to all that is broken. And we live in between those two events, which means we live at a time. We're in a, a changing of the seasons moment. A couple of days ago, I was sitting outside. It was a brutally hot August this summer. It was a First week of September was awful. Yesterday was actually pretty awful. Every summer I convince myself it's not going to be bad, as bad as it usually is because this summer June was okay and Jul the first part of July was okay and then Texas is Texas and it bakes us for like 10 weeks and that's what we've been in, right? It's like my kids, are they'll look at me and they're like, I'm sweating and they're like, Dad, did you go for a run? And I'm like, no, I'm just living. I'm just alive <laughs> in Texas. That's it. This week I was sitting outside and uh, temperatures were a little lower than they have been. And there was a moment 
maybe 30 seconds, where there was just a breeze of air that was 10 degrees cooler than everything else. It was just like this, this small little 70-degree cold front, which it's sad that that's a cold front in Texas, but it was just like, like the small little breeze of air that was, and I thought in that moment, it was, it was just noticeably cooler. I thought in that moment, fall's coming. The seasons are changing. That's what happens around this time in September. Still hot, still miserable most days, but every now and then you'll get a little glimmer of hope, right? You'll get this little sign that things like leaves start falling a little bit, the air drops a little bit, maybe in the mornings, and it's like that's the reminder to us, that's the sign to us that the seasons are changing. There is fall that is coming, right? Cold weather that's coming. We live, you live at a point in the Christian story where we're at the changing of the seasons, There is darkness and brokenness all around. The season of death and sin and rebellion is still here. But when Jesus rose from the dead, kingdom air began spreading in his world. The kingdom marked by love and forgiveness and grace and beauty begins disrupting the kingdom of darkness. The season is changing. Jesus is ruling and reigning. And you know where the changing of the seasons is most visible right now? The changing of the seasons is most visible in the changing lives of God's people. In the change that he is bringing through his gospel in his salvation as we surrender to him and worship him and receive his love and offer his love to those around us and live our lives looking back on his resurrection, looking forward towards his return and saying this, no other story will capture my heart and no other story will control my life because Jesus and Jesus alone is true. That's your script, church. That's why we named our church Citizens Church. It wasn't the easiest name. Had to fight for it. Because who you are and who we are together are we are citizens of the kingdom that both is and is to come. We stand at the turn of the seasons and say, I want God. I want our church. I want the people here to live a life worthy of the story that we belong to. The Bible, the Word of God tells that story. It tells the true story of who God is and who we are. One of the most important important things we do as a church is we learn that story, we live in that story, we confront the false stories, we try to get the, the cultural scripts that are in our lives out of our lives so that we might live fully and freely out of the true story of the world, which means in all of our ministry spaces, we stand on that. We teach God's word and tell that story. It means every Sunday from God's word, I get to confront the cultural lies and remind us of the most beautiful truths. I wanna do a little bit of that. I get to confront the lie that God is whoever you want him to be. That's not true. The beautiful truth in Genesis 1 is that we were made in God's image. He was not made in ours. And the rest of the Bible testifies that God is more glorious and wonderful than what you or I even have the capacity to dream up. And that's our script. Get to confront the lie that this life is all there is. And nothing I do will matter beyond it. So I have to scramble for my minute of meaning in this life. Because that's all I get. That's not true. The beautiful truth of Matthew 6.20 is that you can store up indestructible treasure in the kingdom that will never fade. The beautiful truth of 1 Peter that God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You don't have to exhaust yourself trying to get all eyes on you. The beautiful truth is that God sees you 
has preserved eternity for you so that you can be faithful in unseen, ordinary obedience without the pressure to perform or prove that you matter and know that this life is not passing you by. Eternity has begun in your life through Jesus. That's your script, church. I get to confront the lie that I am what I have. I get to confront the lie that I am the meaning I make. Let me preach the sermon I preach every single Sunday. Colossians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our sins by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The beautiful truth that you are who Jesus says you are. God's word tells us there is a day that Jesus ascended the mountain carrying your cross. It invites you to imagine that day and the charge above his head, the record of debt, Colossians calls it, it was all of your sin, all of your failure, all of your guilt. And if you were on the mountain with him on that day and you saw it written out overwhelmingly against you, exposing you, you would know judgment is yours. You deserve it, but God... But Jesus, beaten and bloodied, body weak from suffering, heart full of sacrifice, guilty of nothing, pure in everything, carries your cross, knowing your charge, puts a gentle hand on your shoulder, whispers, I love you, and then lays down his life that you might live. So not only are you not your job, not only are you not your disappointments, not only are you not what you don't have, it's even better than that. You're not your worst moment in Jesus. You're not your sin. You're not your anger. You're not the lies you've told. You're not the fear. You're not your lust. You're not your self-harm. You're not your addiction. You don't have to hide. You're not your failures, your fears, your faults. You are who God in Christ says you are. You are love. He loves you. He loves you right where you are, not the version of you that you think is lovable. You are right now loved by God in Christ because that's your worst Every sin, every accusation, every wrong, everything dark and idolatrous and evil about you hung over the head of your Savior so that you're not only forgiven of all that you've done, you're no longer defined by all that you've done. You are who God in Christ says you are. How do I know? The Bible tells me so. The Bible tells me so. That's your script, church. And it is our role together as the people of God, to tell the story, to live in the story, to confront the lies, to invite us where and only where true freedom and meaning and life and purpose can be found. And that is only in Jesus, in the word of God, in the true story it tells about who he is and who you are. Father, we love you. We need you. Just so easily deceived we are in such need to be reminded over and again of what's true and what's not. Help us. Help us. For the men and women in this room, God, who feel overwhelmed and exhausted trying to live out of a script that overwhelms and exhausts, pray that they would taste again the freedom of being yours. Taste again the freedom knowing you. And then, God, would we just... rid ourselves to refuse the exhausting pressure 
to refuse the empty pursuit of working so hard to earn what's already been given. Help us. God, your word tells us what's true. It tells us the true story of who you are, Father, Son, and Spirit, actively working to restore your world. It tells us the true story of who we are, made with dignity and honor, broken in need of a Savior, given gifts and resources that we might use, not to draw all the attention to us, but to lay that down because you already see us and we have what we need. We love you and we thank you. Shall we pray? Amen.